As you probably know, Adventure Rider Radio is on the road, and this episode of Adventure Rider Radio is being recorded right now in our studio, our portable studio, run with a battery bank and inverter setup. Right now, when I look out the window, I am on the shore of Lake Superior. I am near no one. The waves are crashing in on the shore. We've got the golden light from the setting sun on the pine trees around us. It is the most stunning place believable. The shore is covered with all kinds of rocks that are unbelievable colors, beautiful sand, It's a million-dollar view, and this is one of the joys of travel. On this episode, we're going to speak with Australian Jackie Kennedy, who is riding her posty bike around Australia, has been for a couple of years now. She's covered over 47,000 kilometers, but the really weird thing about this is she only covers 100 to 200 kilometers a day, so you can imagine how many days that is on the road. Stick around for an awesome story coming up next. After Jackie, we're going to speak with the gear dude, that's Spencer Hill, who did a review for us on the Showy Hornet X2 helmet. And for those of you who complain about noisy helmets, this may be the dual sport helmet for you. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. This is Rob Beach. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here is Herbert Schwartz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Rust. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. <laughs> this is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Jackie Kennedy has been riding motorcycles since she was about 18 years old. She's toured around Europe twice on a scooter with her daughter in one of those times. And in the last two years, Jackie's been riding around Australia on her posty bike that she calls Mo. She's covered over 47,000 kilometers and she's been doing things like visiting big things or finding funky letterboxes all over Australia and she documents and, and posts photos of it on her website. To me, that just sounds like an excuse to ride. Sound familiar? Maybe yourself? Yeah, I know, me too. Jackie has, as she says herself, uh, a sense for the ridiculous. She also hasn't experienced all of Australia, she says, even after 47,000 kilometers. And soon she's going to be traveling with her good friend, Linda Butherstone-Bick, who you'll remember from a previous episode on here. I'm Jim Martin, and here is Jackie from her home in Australia, which is The Road. Hi, I'm Jackie Kennedy. I'm originally from Wollongong, which is south of Sydney. And... um, 
I, I do is <laughs> I travel. I, I travel on the road pretty permanently these days. Jackie Kennedy, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Jackie, in the beginning, when did you start riding? I started riding at 18. Um, it was a means to an end back then because I was, um, I was learning to fly and I needed some transport to get to the airport. And um, so, yeah, I learned to ride. Um, I would ride out to the airport at five o'clock in the morning and then throw an aeroplane around the sky for an hour and then ride back into work, by which time I was just completely buzzing with adrenaline and <laughs> climbing the walls. So, yeah, in the beginning it was just a, a means to an end. Um, but then I learned to love it. What were you doing with the planes? I was doing aerobatics. I was, um, oh, it was a bit of a story. I'd been to Alice Springs and just absolutely loved the desert and wanted to go back. And as I was sitting in Todd Park um, in, in Alice Springs, a helicopter flew over and I thought, well, yeah, that's what I'm going to come back as. I'm going to come back as a helicopter pilot because I didn't want to just swap one office for another office. So, yeah, I thought um, I went back to Sydney and started my training but it was, um, it was much cheaper to do fixed wing and then get a helicopter endorsement. Um, but I got sidetracked into um, aerobatics and, and just got completely hooked on aerobatics. Well, okay, so let's talk motorcycles then. When did riding a motorcycle become something fun for you to do? Um, very quickly. I, I, I had actually planned... Um, Oh, back in the, the 80s to go and do a, a trip of Egypt and Europe and, you know, land in Italy and buy a motorcycle, that sort of dream. I hadn't uh, researched it very well. And and in the end, um, I didn't do it at all because I just bought a one-way ticket to England, you know, with about 24 hours' notice <laughs> and, and so landed in, in the UK with no planning whatsoever, um, which has tended to be a bit of, um, you know, my, my entire life is a little bit like that. Somebody says, oh, yeah, let's go. And, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> my first motorcycle was here in Australia. Um, my first major motorcycle trip of any significance, uh, I'd done a few trips around Australia up to, um, you know, from Sydney to Brisbane and, and outback and a little bit like that. But, um my first major one was with my daughter. Um, we went to Europe for five months and she was only 15 at the time, so she had to be a pillion. Um, and, and we spent um, five months cruising around Europe so that I could introduce her to Europe and introduce her to travelling. And so that, you know, when she was a bit older and wanted to do it herself, she would sort of know the lay of the land and, uh, and and it turned out to be true. I, I made her, um, you know, do all of the hotel bookings or all of the, you know, uh, transport or find find the bus to get us into the centre of Munich, that sort of thing. And so at 15, she was just really competent um, and has gone on to be a, a great traveller. <laughs> She's quite brilliant, yeah. Doesn't that also make it so that... Um you learn to that you can figure things out you learn to you can take yourself into a situation that you're not comfortable don't know about and get sorted 
Yeah, absolutely. And and there's always going to be someone to help as well. You just have to keep asking. Um, you know, we, we found the one person that spoke English in Tokyo and and, and they, they were a great help. And so she witnessed all of this. And, and yeah, she travels very confidently by herself overseas now. And this was on a scooter that you were riding at the time with your daughter. Yeah, we had a, um, a, a 200cc Aprilia Sport City. So it's a, a big wheel scooter. It's not like a, a little Vespa. Um, you know, it's, it's a nice touring scooter. But, um, yeah, she, she wasn't really convinced when I handed her one pannier and said that was her entire clothes for five months. And that if she wanted to buy a, a, a new T-shirt or something, she actually had to ditch one. Um, so yeah, that would, that was also a good lesson because later on she went backpacking and, and, you know, knows that you don't take the, uh, the curling iron and the hairdryer. Well, that is a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, that's no, no matter who you speak to about this, everyone seems to find that the only way you truly learn that you're overpacking is to do it. You pack up your stuff, you get out there and you find that you have too much gear. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and on this trip, as well, I mean, I, I've got a, I've got a little bike with these two enormous panniers, and and they're just full all the time. And I keep sending stuff home, but the panniers just seem to be full all the time. It's like, why have I overpacked again? So after taking your daughter on these two trips, what was next? Um, in 2012, I did another trip to Europe. I I bought a bike in England. Uh, another sports city because that's what I was used to, this time a 300cc, so lots of power. Um, and then, yeah, took myself around Europe for another five or four or five months and um, up the Swiss Alps, as you do. And it was just beautiful. It was just, um, it, again, was um, traveling by myself, camping at night in these little two euro community campsites and uh, eating with the locals. It was just divine. What made you do that? What made you decide to go on a motorcycle trip by yourself at that point? Oh, I have always traveled by myself um, or with my daughter. Um, I just travel. I, I just cannot sit still. I, I don't remember a time when I wasn't either packing or unpacking. Um, my mother was the one that infected us. I have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have two older brothers and um, my mother took us all over Europe and we lived in a combi van for a year, um, just just her and, and uh, as a single parent with these three children. And we witnessed, <coughs> sorry, we witnessed her coping with everything. You know, she never stressed about anything and and us three kids had to get along, um, and so we just coped, and it was it was a really good learning experience. I was only nine at the time, and yeah, it's just you know this is what you do, <laughs> this is you travel. Why did your mum take you on that trip? Um, originally to um, to see my German grandparents, um, but she was an exchange teacher in England. Um, and this is 1973, so this is, um, you know, long before any sort of mobile phones or GPS or anything was out there. 
and uh, and and we just you know we went to the top of Norway and and all over France and Germany and Italy, and you see the Sistine Chapel at age nine, and you you just don't look back. It's interesting how people who get started out when they're young traveling get a taste for it, seem to become adults that do the same thing. What is it about? traveling that really gets you what is it that keeps you going out and staying on the road uh i think uh what what keeps me staying on the road i mean is it exploring the new places is it finding new places is it is it the feeling of freedom is it meeting new people i mean no i think i get i just get twitchy if i sit at home for too long (laughs) you get bored sitting Uh, in one spot and you have to go absolutely and and i'm like that in my work life as well is that I do projects. So I'll do a project for a year or two and then I'll move on to something completely different. Um, you know, I've, I've not really had a job um, that has lasted longer than, you know, a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it is just my, my way of dealing with life, I suppose. I love, I love change. I've embraced change. And a lot of people are scared of change. They like their comfort zone. I like pushing my comfort zone. Yeah, some episodes ago we, we talked about change. We had an episode that uh, sort of brought us to that topic. And it is interesting because changes in everyone's life, like it or not, you have to deal with it. And it's, and it's part of life. It, you know, we, yeah. like it or not, we're forced through changes our entire life. Yet it's that one thing that seems to scare everyone the most, the thought of dealing with that next change. Yeah, and I, I don't. I, I seek it out. I, I seek out change. I, I think what the question is, though, I think for a lot of people who will say, yeah, I would love to do that as well, but don't you worry about loss? Because I think a lot of times people are, are more motivated to hold on to what they've got, to not chance losing something, um, to gain something else. Uh, yeah, but you've got to have something in the first place. I mean, everything I have is on my bike. Uh, I mean, my daughter's at home in a rented house, um, you know, she came up and, and spent a week with me in Cairns. It's, it's, there's no sort of uh, leaving something behind because she just comes and joins me. Um, yeah, that I, I'm, I'm the most unmaterialistic person in the world. Uh, I don't need a lot of things. I'm not a consumer at all. I, I hate shopping with vengeance. Um, so, yeah, there's no loss for me because I don't have anything. In the end, do you, do you ever, I mean, sit there, you know, at a campfire under a starry night and think, ah, oh, I wish I just had a home and I had all the other fixings, the mortgage, and <laughs> I'm probably going down <laughs> the wrong road there. But, but I'm loading the question now and I shouldn't have done that. But, but you know what I'm saying. Is there ever a time where you sit there and you think, oh, I wish I had just bought in like everybody else did? No, never. I, I've also, even on this last trip for the last two years, um, visiting every little pocket in Australia and I go, could I live here? Could I settle down here? Could I, you know, buy a house or even just rent a house? Um, and th- there's not been one spot that I would settle for, I don't know, longer than six months. Maybe I'd rent a house for six months. Um, but I could never put down roots. Um, and, and there's never been a place that has attracted me that much I mean, there's been some gorgeous places like, you know, down in Tasmania and, and then Tinkam Bay in, in um, 
Queensland, which are the, the complete opposite of each other. Um, you know, the, the attractions are, are totally opposite. So uh, I would just have to go six months in Tassie and then another six months in Queensland and then hop over to WA and, you know, spend six months at Shark Bay. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's never a point at which I feel like I need to put down roots. Do you feel like everywhere is your home? Yes. Yes, wherever the tent is, wherever the tent is, is, is home. Describe where you are right now, Jackie. I mean, you're on a great connection right now. You sound like, you know, you're, you know, to work your computer, you've obviously got a computer there. We're talking through this. Describe your situation. Um, right now, I'm in a little place called Charleville. Um, it, it's right smack bang in the middle of Queensland. I've just come back from Birdsville, which was unbelievable. Uh, Birdsville is, is um, outback. You can't get more outback than Birdsville. Uh, every road into it is a dirt road, uh, and the road I took was a horrible dirt road. Um, I broke my bike, not fatally, but uh, <laughs> and I'm not naturally a, a dirt bike rider. I, I, um, I whinge and carry on at, at the slightest um, sight of dirt. And, and I had to do 250 kilometres of this revolting, horrible, loose, crappy, gravelly dirt. At least it wasn't raining. Um, the last time I did dirt was the Udnadatta track and it rained and rained and turned the, the road to soup and we no one was allowed to ride or drive on it for six days. So that was fun. Um, but, yeah, Birdsville, I went to the Birdsville races. Now, you know, put it on your bucket list. This is something everyone needs to do at one point in their life. It is so much fun. Um, everyone, no one takes themselves seriously. Everyone gets dressed up. It, it's the, the absolute Aussie larrikin coming out. Um, and, and the whole place just rocks. And, and it's not... It's not that sort of bogan, alcoholic-fueled um, fun. It, it's just good, clean, you know, larrikin fun. Jackie, you just said the road was revolting, loose, crappy dirt. What's great about <laughs> that? <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, that, that wasn't the great bit. I mean, once I got to Birdsville and, and hit the bitumen at Birdsville, I just about kissed it. Um, yeah. I don't know. And, and I, I, I asked around until I got a lift out um, by these wonderful people who do rent a tent. You know, those people, they go in and set up 150 tents for people who are too lazy to bring in their, their tents and their stuff. Or, Wait a second. They fly are you talk, hang on a second. Are you talking commercial tents? Or are you talking individual like pub tents? No, no, no. They're, they're, it's a commercial operation. Yeah, but are they setting they, up they tents for display? Sorry? Are they setting up for displays for commercial exhibits or are they setting up individual no. tents for people to sleep in? That's right, yes, the latter. Um, the rent a tent, they do the big events. They do the, um, the big um, uh, rock concerts and things like that. Well, they do the Birdsville races. They come in with a big semi-trailer and, um, and with 150 tents on board. They set them all up with stretches and, and um, linen and pillows and everything else. And, uh, and people fly in and then just walk into this beautifully set up tent. I mean, it's the most civilised, wonderful way to go. And, uh, and, 
And these guys adopted me. Um, you know, they, they thought I was completely mad turning up on a posty bike in Birdsville. And, um, and they had just driven over these roads and they knew exactly how horrible and bad they were. And so, you know, when I asked them if they could fit the bike into the semi, they said, yeah, sure. And, and so we had this luxury trip out. It took four hours instead of two days, which I, it took me two days to get in there. Um, well, I had to sleep. I, sorry, <laughs> sorry. I, I, we, we've jumped way ahead here and, and we should probably yeah, go back. Yeah. Let, let, let's go back. So that's that's where you are now. And, and that's that yes. sounds incredible. So back to that first bike trip that you did on your own, um, that sort of that sort of sowed the seed, I guess, for you as far as motorcycle travel. What were you riding? I was riding an Aprilia Sport City 300cc. Right. Okay. And and people were telling you that was a great bike, or were they telling you to come on, get get a real bike? Um, a bit of both. A bit of both. I mean. I went up the Stelvio Pass and I, I actually passed some BMWs on the way up and because and, they were heaving them around the corners, these hairpin bends and, um, and these huge heavy bikes. And so we're, we're all at the top and they're going, oh, I need a scooter, <laughs> you know, because I just zipped up the inside and, and was at the top in no time. Uh, but then you get the people that go, oh, you know, when are you going to get a real bike? And... Um, yeah, you know, because somehow a 300cc scooter doesn't have two wheels. I mean, it's, it's, so, yeah, I... I um, so, so did you I, give I in? Came, I did. I came home and, and I bought a real bike. I bought a, a 110cc posty bike. And for overseas people, this is what the postmen use in Australia. Um, the little red iconic with um, bright yellow pannier bags and a flag out the back. Uh, yeah, many um, people I think who, just... who, listen, who listen to our show are familiar with those, Jackie. But I'm just doing the math quickly, and you know, it seems to me you went down a little bit in size. I did, I did. <laughs> but you considered that going from a scooter to a real bike. Real what makes bike, the difference? Yes. I wanted a challenge again. You know, I I, I seek the the uh, the change. I seek the. Um, I look. I used to say. At, at dinner parties, people were out, why do you ride a posty bike? And and I said, I used to say, because any numpty can cross the Nullarbor on a 1,000cc BMW, until Shirley Hardy Ricks turned around and said, please don't call me a numpty. And so I stopped using that phrase. It was a very flippant sort of dinner party phrase. Um, but it still has an element of truth in it, is that, you know, you, you, can, you can go around on a 1,000cc with an attitude that you can do 600 kilometres in a day or, or more, as people do. And, and mostly you just see the bitumen and every now and again you'll, you'll hop off for, for lunch or whatever and have a look at the view. Um, but on a 110 posty bike, you, you have a completely different attitude, a, a completely different approach to travelling, um, more akin to a bicycle um, where you know you're not going to get very far. Um, for me personally, I don't want to stress the bike out. And so um, 200 kilometres in a day is, is almost my maximum, uh, if not 100 kilometres. 
which makes you then stop at every little town and, and explore and, and go and find that, you know, 1880s grave site out the back of the roadhouse or, you know, stop and look at the view and detour off because you've just got this um, different time frame. Um, you, you take every advantage and... and you know, every sign that says interesting spot, you'll go down that road. I think it's a different attitude when you're riding a bigger bike. Did you plan this when you when you were looking for bikes? You said you were going to get a real bike and you go from your 300cc scooter to the, the 110 posty bike, which which I know is a robust uh, bike for sure. It's definitely meant to, to carry carry the loads of uh, of the postal service and uh, and all the mail, etc. Is that what you thought when you were looking at that bike? I mean, what sort of convinced you to go with that as opposed to you know getting up into a 250cc motorcycle? Posty bikes are iconic. Um, and, and it's kind of the smallest bike you can you can get without being a bicycle. Um, so yeah, I just I, I had had that in my mind for many, many years. We, we have a, um, a lot of charity rides over here. It's a posty bike challenge. Um, you know there's the posty bike safari, posty bike dash and, and so on. And, and they are iconic in the sense that that is the hardest you can do it. Um, you know, to take a, a posty bike up the Udnadatta track is, you know, the hardest you can do it. And so, you know, yeah, that's for me. It's interesting, you know, here in North America, the the spaces between things can be quite large. And uh, a lot of times people come here from Europe and they look at it and they're, they're taken aback by it, the, uh, the wide open spaces. And they, they often look at people riding Harleys and, and big bikes like that and think, okay, or, or comment that they can see why they're riding such a big bike. Now, for those who may not be aware of, of Australia's size and those vast areas that you're covering, I mean, you're covering huge distances really with far less in them probably than what we have here in north america so because what often, often people argue that the bigger bike is needed because of our wide open spaces here but but really you're sort of flying in the face of that um yeah absolutely i mean australia if you look at it on a map is is about the same size of of north america um i uh, i've not been to north america so i don't know how many gravel roads you have but we have lots of them. You get it, you know, 100, 200 k's out of the city and there's no more um, no more bitumen. You, just about every road is, is a dirt road. Um, I mean, our major highways, of course, they're bitumen all the way around, but who wants to do that? And that's where all the, um, the road trains go. So you want to stay off those anyway. Um, yeah, Australia, compared to Europe, Europe, particularly France, there is a, um, you know, France has a village every two kilometres <laughs> and, um, and and you're always within a safety zone in that sense, whereas Australia you're not. I'm not sure what it's like in North America, but, you know, you can be 400 kilometres away from help um, in Australia, up a dirt road, and unless you have a sat phone, you know, and call in the Royal Flying Doctor Service, um, you are out there isolated alone. Um, you wouldn't, I, I don't know, you probably would, I mean, Peter Forward would, but he would take a Harley anywhere. Um, I don't think other people would choose to take a Harley in, in some of our gravel roads. 
um, they wouldn't be cruising on them. You know, most people would be choosing the KTM or the BMWs. Um, yeah, it's just a whole different kettle of fish to, to ride in the outback in, in Australia. You now have this posty bike, which you call Mo, by the way. Um, mm, yes. Is there a reason for that? Um, there used to be four of them, and they were called Eeny, Meeny, Miny and Mo. So I still have Eeny at home. He's waiting for me. Um, and and Mo is, Mo's become a very old man. He's just clicked over 93,000 kilometres on his clock. I'm, I'm desperate to get into 100,000. And um, so we've done 47,000 on this trip around Australia, um, which, you know, if anyone that knows circumnavigated Australia, it's only about 15,000 kilometres. So I've, I've done this kind of wonky figure eight and, you know, turned it into 47,000. Wow. The, the keen listener is going to hone into that word that you just used a minute ago. You said home. The, the bike is home. What is home to you? Uh, I, my daughter has a, um, she's in our rented house in Sydney. Um, she's turned it into a uni hangout and, you know, doing what, what uh, young uni sh- students should be doing. So, yes, my other scooter, I still have another scooter, is also at home waiting. Um, and and Eni is also at home. So next year, um, Linda Boothestone, who you interviewed uh, not long ago, we, we met at um, Horizons Unlimited in Queensland in 2013. And so we've been sort of very good friends but also travelling on and off together Um over the last couple of years. And so uh, she was on a, uh, a Super Sherpa, but she found it um, a bit too big. And so she rode Mo for a little bit and then we convinced her to get a posty bike. And so our next trip next winter is uh, we're going to take these two posty bikes up to uh, Cape York, which I think is kind of, you know, it, it's the pinnacle of the last of the... The, the roads in Australia that are not civilised. Um, you know, the wet season washes it away every year and so the graders have to go back in and recreate it. Um, I don't think it'll ever be bitumen. Uh, so, yeah, it's just that it's almost like the final challenge for Australia. So, yeah, Linda and I are, are planning to, um, to go to Cape York on posties next year, just the two of us. Yeah, Linda had mentioned that she was considering a posty bike. I wasn't sure she was actually going to do it because she did say that Super Sherpa was getting to be a little too much for her um, at this point. That's really interesting. I, I would have to ask, it immediately pops in my head, what comes after that? I mean, are you going to be forced to leave Australia to find new adventure? Um, perhaps. But I, there's so much more of Australia I haven't done. Um, but, yeah, Linda is talking about Africa after that. Um, I, I think that that it appeals to my sense of, um, you know, the, the next logical step um, is is to go overseas. Whether we'll take the posties overseas, I'm not sure. Uh, they are such wonderful, beautiful, simple bikes. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So Cape York is very remote. It's is it a park? Uh, no, Cape York is a thousand kilometres 
north of, of Cairns. So once you leave sort of Cairns and Cooktown, it's just dirt road and it's a 1,000 kilometres of very corrugated, um, bright red bull dust. Uh, and if anyone has done it, they know that this bull dust gets into absolutely every single bit of your engine and every bit of your clothing and your tent and your sleeping bag. And you end up just about ditching the whole lot when you come out again. I'm sure many people will say, wow, it sounds like a wonderful vacation. <laughs> <laughs> but, and I mean, you know, that says something right there about your idea of adventure. And I love it. <laughs> I really do. Because yeah. it sounds like my style as well. But my question is, uh, so when you get up into an area like that, what are you going to do for fuel and repairs, even for your posty bike? Well, I know it's great on fuel, but not that great. Um, well, I, we've got long-range tanks on the bikes. Um, and, and so I can actually get 450 kilometres out of out of both tanks. So it's a 9-litre nine, nine uh, XR250 tank is the long-range tank, and it still has 5 litres under the seat. So 14 litres, I can get 450 k's. Um, which is pretty good fuel economy. I've been tracking my fuel economy the whole way and I, I get between 38 and 42 uh, kilometres per litre um, and, and that's fully loaded. Mo is, Mo is a heavy little washing machine. He steers like a washing machine. Um, he's carrying, he's carrying his, his panniers a, a chock-a-block full um, but it's still less weight than a mailman is allowed to carry. So a mailman's allowed to carry 30 kilos, and I think I'm carrying about 22 kilos. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it was Nathan Millward who told me that they're, they're built heavy duty for the axles, the wheels. They're, they're really designed to carry a lot of weight. Yes, yes, and I've, I've tested that theory <laughs> over and over again. You said you're approaching two years on the road, uh, 47,000 kilometres, some of it in the dirt. What is that like, covering that distance on that bike? Um, it doesn't feel like 47,000 kilometres. It feels like 200 kilometres a day. And and then, like here I am in Charleville, I've been here three days. Um, you know, I, I do tend to stop and explore a town. And so it doesn't feel like, you know, that I've done this huge, great, long distance. It, it's just, this is my life. This is this is how I live my life. I move on and it's only 200 kilometres down the road. You said that you don't really identify with Nathan Millward, although he's a, he's a good friend for you. Yeah. That uh, his trip was because he didn't have a BMW available. But Ed and Rachel, <laughs> Ed and Rachel, who chose their C90s and extols the virtues to everyone uh, about how yes. great their bike are, and and and, and both of those, uh, both those people, or all three of those people, rather, been on the show. So uh, for the listener, if you if you haven't heard of them, go back to, in our previous episodes, and, and you'll find their stories in there. But tell us about that. Um. And and I don't want to take away anything of Nathan's trip. At all. I mean, marvellous trip, an unbelievable guy. But had he had a BMW available, I think he would have chosen a BMW. Um, whereas I identify with, with Ed and Rachel a lot more because I chose a postie. You know, I've gone um, from a, a 300cc bike and, and I've chosen to do it hard and do it slow. And which is exactly what Ed, Ed and um, Rachel have done. I mean, Rachel was going to do her trip on a 650cc bike 
and Ed talked her into doing it on a C90. You know, how brave is that? <laughs> it's just incredible. Their adventure is, their attitude um, to slow travel is very similar to mine. Can you tell us about the equipment that you wear and that you have with you? I wear a Carrazzo jacket. Um, Carrazzo is uh, a very small brand here in Australia, um, but it's about the only only jacket that you can get, which is just completely red, bright red. Um, we're inundated with all of this black clothing, and we're in Australia for God's sakes. We're you know we're broiling in our in our motorcycle jackets. Particularly, I've spent the last six months in Queensland. Um, the Carrazzo jacket is completely vented. The whole thing is made out of mesh, but it still has the uh, the armour. Um, I wear um, hiking boots. I don't have motorcycle boots. I wear Kevlar jeans. Um, you know, I don't go in for the fancy gear. I don't think it's necessary. Um, you know, if and when I fall off mo, I'm probably only doing it at 20 kilometres an hour because um, I've only ever fallen off him on the dirt. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm protected, but I'm also um, I'm, I'm dressing for the weather. Well, it certainly sounds like an incredible adventure. Where can people find out more about what you're doing? Um, my blog is postynotes.com.au. Um, and I've turned the last two years of blog into um, ebooks that you can download for free. Um, yeah, so it's uh, the whole story is there. It's the story in pictures. Ebooks that you can download for free. How do you survive? How do you make money on the road? I I am a website designer, and so it, yeah, I make uh, I make a bit of money from that. I also meet people along the way that employ me. For instance, um, I was in Charters Towers and the Royal Hotel wanted some advice on websites and so we exchanged accommodation for that. Um, you know, there's a, a, an underground camping in Coobapedi in, in South Australia and they needed a website. And so, again, we exchanged accommodation. Um, and, and so I can, I can work like that on the road. But I also live very, very cheaply. That, I'm sure that is the key, isn't it, to staying on the road continuously? Yes, yes, absolutely. Live as cheap as possible. You don't need all the fancy stuff. Um, yeah. I, I was going to ask you, Jackie, just before we wrap up here, if you had any last bit of information or, or last bit of advice for anyone out there interested in doing what you're doing. Would it, would it be just what you just said? Um, yeah, it would be just do it, and, and particularly women. Um you know, women travelling alone, particularly in Australia, it is so safe. It is so safe. Just do it. Um, I think with couples, you, you don't get that interaction that you get as a single person. Um, and, and particularly, uh, Mo is just this little magnet for people. They, they Everyone comes up and talks to, to me about Mo. So... Uh, yeah, the, the, I've had incredible offers that way, is that Mo is so unthreatening that, that um, you know, people invite me home and invite me for meals and things like that. 
Um, so, yeah, just just get out there and do it. There's nothing to be afraid of. Jackie, it was a pleasure to speak with you and uh, good luck out there on the road with Mo. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Jackie Kennedy. You can find out more about Jackie and her adventures loaded with photographs, www.postynotes.com.au. And of course, you can always drop by our show notes at www.adventureriderradio.com and you'll find the link in there with some photographs as well. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with the gear dude. Spencer Hill is going to tell us about his new showy helmet that he's tried out for us. And it may be your dream dual sport helmet. I'm going to give you a web address, www.good-adv.com. This is the Good Adventure Company, and they claim to be the first adventure motorcycle outfitter with the sole purpose of making the world a better place to live and ride. And here's how they've done it. They've set the entire company up to donate the profits to sustainable nonprofit organizations that help children and families. That's pretty amazing. One of the charities they're supporting right now is Lost for a Reason. If you haven't heard about this, go to lostforareason.org or just search for it on Google. Um, definitely a cause worth getting behind and one that a lot of adventure riders are getting behind. There's a, a lot of chatter about that and a lot of people are getting in there and helping them out. But if you go to the Good Adventure Company's website, you'll see that there's a link there for LFAR swag. Click on that. Have a look. There's where you can get all the different things that they offer supporting directly Directly supporting Lost for Reasons. They've got t-shirts here. Um, they've got button-up shirts. They've got the, the patches, like the stickers. You know that the profits are going to support nonprofit organizations, but you know in this particular case, uh, most of the money, I guess, at that point would be going to Lost for a Reason. These guys have also gone one step further. They only sell gear that they use themselves. So they recommend what they call, quote unquote, going soft off-road. And that means running with soft luggage, obviously. And they handle Wolfman Luggage, Giant Loop, and Endurastan. These are companies that they have used. They're actually riding with their stuff on their bikes right now. It's, it's the products that they prefer, and that's what they're selling. That's really neat. They also sell Hydno tires, um, gag rig hydration systems, and they, of course, sell the fundraising items for Lost for a Reason, um, which is one of the charities they support. So they only sell what they consider to be the best. That's a, a real asset for you as, as a consumer when you're going to buy something. You know these guys are behind it, not to make a profit for themselves. They're donating their profits and they're ensuring that the products are great by only selling what they've tried and they consider to be the best. That's pretty amazing. Now there's another thing. They also offer guided trips to the Colorado backcountry, the Navajo Nation and Copper Canyon, Mexico. So you can't go wrong here. Uh, this is something you've got to check out. www.good-adv.com, the Good Adventure Company. Look at them, visit them, tell them that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio and support nonprofit charities, which we all can use to do a little more of in our lives. I mean, this is an opportunity for you really to support a charity and you're actually getting something from it. I mean, they're not even looking for donations with this. They're giving you a product and they're saying, don't worry about it. We'll sell you a product at a fair price. We're going to take those profits and we're going to donate it to the nonprofit organization. That's pretty amazing. This is an opportunity to give um, that you haven't come across before, most likely. So check it out, www.good-adv.com. Grab yourself some soft luggage or take an adventure with them and know that your money is going to help a nonprofit organization and one that many other motorcyclists just like you have got in there and helped as well. 
good-adv.com. That's www.good-adv.com. I'm with Spencer Hill, and Spencer, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Glad to be back. I understand you've been trying out a brand new helmet, the Shoei Hornet X2. But before we get into that, let's start off with, in your mind, what do you think we should be looking for in a dual sport helmet? Uh, I think what we should be looking for is a helmet that is just as good for touring as it is for the amount of off-road riding that the mass majority of us uh, actually do. Right. And in your review, I mean, you mentioned that in the written one, you mentioned that uh, this helmet you thought was an 80-20, which means that really it's designed for 80% on-road and 20% dirt. Is that what you would consider to be the average rider? Yeah, I would. And uh, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people would like to say that they're 50-50, but I think the mass majority uh, of us do about 80-20. And even if we don't, I would rather I would rather have a helmet that did better uh, for those longer sections on the road than those shorter sections off road. You know. Yeah, because if you're um, if you're off road, you can you can sort of I think you can get by with a lot, can't you? But um, on the road is where the the problems really show up. Yeah, and that's that's where this helmet really shines is at highway speeds. Well, what was it like when you took it out of the box? Uh, when I took it out of the box, I was immediately impressed with it i uh i'd been kind of leery of matte finished helmets because i heard they scuff and uh scratch really easy but i went for it anyway because i thought it looked really cool Uh, i got it in the matte gray um it's just super high quality you can tell it pulling out of the box the inside liner is super plush um it comes with a pin lock insert which is kind of unheard of even in high-end helmets and uh I was just very, uh, very excited to get out and test it. Well, what sort of price range is this? Is this a high-end uh, helmet or mid-range? Uh, I would call it high-end. It's it's right around the six hundred dollar mark. Yeah, so that's a good so. chunk of money, isn't it, for for a helmet? Yeah, it's an investment. So, and and that's kind of why I, I uh, was pretty uh, hard on this review, I guess, because for six hundred dollars, you know, you you're expecting a lot. Out yes. of your helmet, you want a pretty good helmet. Helmets have a shell or a, a, a lifespan too, don't they? They after five so many years. years, five years. So after five years, you, you got to dump this helmet no matter what. So you got to figure whatever you're going to spend on this thing, it's only going to cover you for that five years. I mean, theoretically speaking. Yeah. So I mean, you really want it to do. You should expect a lot from a helmet that costs that much, and I mean, it should deliver a lot. And did it deliver? It did. Uh, I think it did. And um, especially for how much use I've put into it, I wear a helmet a lot, you know, and uh, I probably put mm, probably 9,000 miles in this helmet. Um, so, I mean, you know, if, if you're going to use a helmet a lot, it's uh, a nicer helmet makes more of a difference. You notice the the smaller things, you know, whereas if you're just doing a weekend every now and again, you could probably get away with a, with a more mid-range helmet, you know? Well, Spencer, that's why I like the way you test things, because 9,000 miles in a helmet certainly tells you something about it. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, that's uh, that's what I like to do, because, I don't know, does, does somebody pulling a helmet out of a box and doing a, you know, a one-week test with it on road, it's like, well, you don't even know what's going to break yet, really. Yeah, so let's give us a run through. Now, um, what are the great things about this? 
great things about it is um, it's very quiet. It's super quiet and uh, comfortable, uh, comfortable getting going. But the, the part that stands out to me is every time I put on a dual sport helmet, the first thing I look for is my head getting jerked back as soon as I get up to about 50 miles an hour. From the wind hitting the visor. Yeah, from the wind pulling on the visor. And I, so I was like expecting and I'd, I had read a whole bunch of stuff from Shoei saying that they had done all this wind tunnel research and that they had negated this. And uh, so I was waiting to see and I, I just kept being impressed uh, by how little buffering uh, I, you actually receive on your head and neck from this visor that's on there. So, I mean, that, that stood out to me a lot. Well, hang on. So on your bike, just to be clear here, are you running? Like, tell us about your bike and your, your setup for a windscreen. Oh, well, yeah, that's pretty funny. This is probably a good test, too, because it's, I, was, I did most of these miles on my KTM 690 with the little tiny baby screen that they call the touring screen. Right. I refer to those as chicklets. So, so you're, getting, <laughs> you're getting lots of wind there. Oh, yeah. My head is in 100% fresh air. So it, I actually, I thought that was a good way to test this helmet too, because there wasn't, uh, I tested it on 1192, which has more of a windscreen. And the features you liked? Oh, the features that I liked, uh, the visor has a really good ratcheting system to it, and you can lock it in a place, like one notch open, and then it seals really well on the, the enclosure around the eye. So in wet weather and crappy crummy weather you don't get any moisture coming in the visor itself has really good clarity and with the pin lock installed you can breathe right on it in rain or any conditions and it doesn't fog up really like that sticking with the visor it's really easy to remove from the helmet they they brought over their um visor system showy did from some of their other road oriented helmets and it's just Super easy to pop the lens off. I mean, I even now pop it off just to clean the inside. That's how easy it is. Speaker holes inside the helmet was another added thing when I first got it. Um, it's got built-in recesses for my Cena Bluetooth, which is really good. The only negative thing that I noticed early in the testing was just the, the venting. Yeah, so this is pretty important, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, I, I was looking at what you said about it, and I was thinking, boy, venting is, is super important, especially for something that you're you're going to ride uh, in, in any sort of while, even slow traffic. I was going to say in, in off-road situations where you might be, you know, picking your way through a, a trail or a situation, but even in slow traffic. Yeah, and I don't know. It, I think it's a give and a take um, because on the original Showy Hornet, they, they had the big uh, dual sport um, chin vent, which is pretty common. And I think they went with this smaller one to, to help with noise. And I think they kind of thought it would, I don't know. I think uh, they thought a lot of people wouldn't really have a problem with it as much. But I noticed it right away. So you find it kind of stuffy when you're moving slow? Yeah, definitely stuffy. And then in, in any real off-road conditions, I ended up riding with just goggles and removing the, the face shield altogether. So that helps with it a whole lot. But still, when you're doing your regular road riding, I, I wish that you could get some more, more wind on your face. 
through that chin vent. You'd mentioned the X2 has 11 vents, four intake, seven exhaust. Does the number of intakes really matter or is it just more about whether the thing works or not? I think it just matters whether it works or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I think some of them have a lot of vents on them um, and it just seems like they don't do anything. Yeah, and that's the thing too. I did a helmet roundup um, recently and uh, I was doing a lot of research on it and helmet companies will throw out, you know, like crazy numbers, like 15 vents and you're like, wait, are you, they're counting like each individual hole in the, in the shell of the helmet, you know, and I'm like, I just don't really think that's necessary or practical. So bottom line, is it a buy or is it a pass? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a buy. If you're going to grade it, you know, between one and five, five being the best, one being the worst, where would it sit? It would sit at a four and a half. Wow, that's great, eh? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's phenomenal. It's like I said, I was pretty hard on the on reviewing this helmet because it is what I call a, a high-end helmet. So I expect a lot from it. So kind of harsh on the, the venting, but it really is phenomenal. On road, the manners, it's very well-balanced helmet. It's a little bit heavier than some of its competitors, but once it gets in wind, you can almost feel it sort of balancing itself. And so the, the balance is really good. It, it's quiet. It's just got all those those nice features that you don't really know that you're missing until you uh, until you use something like this, you know? Well, really, for riding on the road, noise is such a huge problem. I mean, the obvious uh, hearing problems that we can run into, I think they say it's anything beyond 20 minutes at highway speeds can cause permanent ear damage. Uh, I've read that before. And the helmets can be really bad for that. Not only just the wind rushing by, the sound of the wind, but when you start to get a helmet that's that's designed poorly, that's noisy in the wind, and it also rattles or makes uh, different noises, it just adds to the whole problem, let alone the fact that you can't hear your earbuds at that point that you put in as well. Yeah. Well, I think it really adds up to fatigue, especially yeah, on a 500-mile a, a day. It, it just really, that white noise, even if it's not that much, I, I mean, it really annoys me. So that's why I said that this probably got such a high rating because with the, with the chin curtain installed, I can listen to audiobooks or podcasts or anything like that not even maxed out on my Cena. so i mean it's it's much better than some of its competitors i keep wanting to say the xd4 which is what i really have to compare it to the peak itself you can take that off and it's super easy to take off which is like a cool feature but it doesn't look right with the the beak off and some other helmets have little plates that cover up um what's exposed on the sides and it kind of makes it look like a street fighter helmet, you know, but they didn't provide anything like that. And then where the vent is on the crown of your head, there's just an open hole that sits there. So you couldn't really ride with it off because it's just open to rain or weather or whatever. And that was Spencer Hill with his review of the Showy Hornet X2. Then MSRP manufacturer suggested retail price of $595. Quite a um, um, somewhat expensive helmet in my mind anyway. And um, he gives it a 4.5 out of 5. And that's pretty darn good. You can find out more about Spencer and his reviews by looking up thegeardude.com or, of course, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and look at the show notes for this episode. This is Dave Barr, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 
This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. Sign up for their e-rider newsletter too at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. I tell you, it was really fun making this one, too, because, well, we are on the road. So, like I said to you before, we're on the shores of Lake Superior right now. But be moving on very soon from here. Don't forget to check out the Good Adventure Company. Remember that www.good-adv.com. And, of course, anytime you visit our advertisers and show partners here on Adventure Rider Radio, let them know you heard them here on this show so they know it's working for them. I'm Jim Martin, and now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Don't forget to drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. And you can look at all the episodes we've done here for Adventure Rider Radio. They're all downloadable for free. Go ahead, enjoy. And while you're there, click on our comment button. Send us your show suggestions, maybe comments. Let us know what you think of the show, and maybe some suggestions for some upcoming shows. You can also check us out on social media. We're on Facebook, of course, Adventure Rider Radio. We are on Twitter, ADV Rider Radio. And of course, if you Google us, you'll find us there as well. Adventure Rider Radio is always free. You can drop by our website and download any of the episodes at any time. And if you like what we're doing and you'd like to send us a donation, we would really appreciate it. Drop by the website, click on the donate button. Adventure Rider Radio is made possible through Canoe West Media and special thanks to our wonderful co-producer, Elizabeth Martin. Hi, I'm Valerie Thompson and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Yeah.